Is your life chaotic, busy, stressed? Are you discouraged, frenzied, or in overdrive? Hey, keep calm and carry on. We have a few ideas for how we can help each other. Morning, my name is Blair. Welcome to Waypoint. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're in the end of a five-week series, but don't, don't worry. This week will make sense all on its own. It'll be just fine. And we're doing this thing called Keep Calm and Carry On. And as I was mapping out this whole series, I knew this week would have to be a part of it. And I think it ended up at the end because I know Waypoint's not very strong at this right now. And part of the reason it's not very strong at this right now is because I've carried baggage on this that has uh, prevented me from emphasizing it at times. And I kind of know that. And uh, when you hear the subject that we're going to talk about, you may, you know, get this thought, Blair, you're a pastor. How in the world can that be something that you wrestle with? And can, can I just tell you, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that rarely, if ever, do our roles define us. Almost always, it's our beliefs and values that we get along the path of life. And um, maybe those are gathered through some of the best moments in your life that you can remember. They marked you in a significant way, and it changed what you believe or what you valued. Or maybe it's the worst moment in your life, and it changed some of the things that you believe. Or if you're like me, what, what I've discovered anyway, is that many times the things that have marked my life have been both at the same time. And only after I look back did I recognize it as both where I was having the worst time of my life, and yet at that point, God was planting seeds that would grow into something incredible. And at the best time of my life, I was planting arrogance and stuff that would eventually cause problems too. And so all of that to say, we're really complex. I am, and you are. And sometimes it's not so simple just to say, I am who my role is. It, we're far more complicated than that. Now, I don't want you to forget that we're talking about encouragement. We've, um, we're looking at this ability that God gives you. It's a gift that you have to give to others. It's not about you. It's about how you can um, turn and impact the lives of the people around you. And I, I hope as we've talked about it, you've understood that the scriptures almost look at it like it's a responsibility that you have. You have this responsibility to support people, to honor people, to coach people, to build their hope up. These are big ideas that we can do and be a part of. So I don't want you to lose sight of that because today's going to feel a little bit like um, a rabbit trail. It's not, but I can understand how you'll feel that way, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. But before we get there, I want you to keep in mind how important this idea of encouragement is. So I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, and this is what it says about encouragement. But encourage one another daily. It must be so important that you would do this daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you see that? See, when you decide to follow Jesus, you push sin off to the side, and it's trying to crawl its way back into the center of your life ever since. And encouragement has this ability on a daily basis to actually not allow your heart to be deceived and hardened by sin. It's a, it's a thing that you can do in somebody else's life that has that kind of impact. It's no 
small thing. And today, all today is going to be is another tool. We've been looking at different tools that we can use to encourage people, except today's tool, in my opinion, is really misunderstood. Its power is misunderstood. Its primary purpose is misunderstood. Its outcomes are misunderstood. And because of that, um, today, I'm going to spend most of my time trying to help us deal with that misunderstanding so that we can get to a point that if we use it for encouragement, we have a right thinking in our mind when we go to, to use it. Because God wants to use it in a significant way in the lives of the people around you, through you. But if you have a wrong understanding of what it is, it never really gets used effectively. And it's where some of my baggage has come from. We're going to let you see if you can figure out where we're headed this morning uh, by listening to this song. This song has all the elements of the messes that are a part of this. I want you to check this out. I tried out for the band this morning. <laughs> I was told no. I couldn't even scream right. <sighs> My word. Uh, by the way, that's five weeks um, in this series, probably some of the most diverse music we've used. And I know they're not all here, but for five weeks of really great stuff, would you just give our band a hand? Sometimes the music is the thing that you remember that triggers the thought to get you somewhere else. It's why we spend so much energy and effort on that, and they did such a great job. Uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the idea of prayer. Uh, what people want to see, have it accomplished in their lives. Uh, the views that we have on it that sometimes make it ineffective. And how it can be used ultimately to encourage another person. Now, if, if I were trying to make the case for you that prayer is important, I could take you all over the scriptures to show you the value. In fact, I could take you to 1 Thessalonians 5.25 where Paul Ask for prayer. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. So it's something that he saw that would be something that, hey, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I think it's that important that you would do this. In Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we see the same kind of request. This is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. It says, pray for us. Now, here's where it gets interesting. After he says, pray for us, or whoever this writer is, it says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. See, they already know that they're responsible for having a clear conscience and they're working at that. They're working at living a life that's honorable to God and they've taken responsibility for that, but they're still asking for prayer. If you go down and look, it's so that they can be reunited with these people that they're writing to. And so there's different things that people would pray about, but I love this stuff that gets mentioned after prayer is kind of asked for. It starts to give you some insight. Uh, we find Paul in, first, uh, or in Colossians, verse, uh, verse, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 9. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still singing in my head, and it was good. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, he says this, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, what did they hear about them? That they love God. 
that they were following after him. And they heard about this, and he says, we have not stopped praying for you. And then he goes on and says this. This is the kind of stuff he's praying about. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He's, he's praying for somebody, but again, he knows they're responsible for how they're going to live. And so what he's praying for is that they'd have wisdom, that they would understand God's will, that they would have the knowledge of who God is. And so we see him praying for all of this kind of stuff. Or, or maybe you can take uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's kind of a famous little verse, two words. Pray continually. And I heard people look at that and go, how do I do that? I have a job. I mean, apart from me being a monk, I don't see me pulling this sort of thing off. And so it raises all kinds of questions. The scriptures talk about prayer everywhere, and it's probably why it causes some confusion for us. Because I I rarely have conversations with people about prayer unless they're this way, and I have a lot of these conversations. About four months ago, I got a call from a, a really good friend of mine, and he was distraught. And if, if you knew the reason for the phone call, it would have been a reason to be distraught. And as he's talking about uh, what's happening in their lives, uh, he just, he made this comment. I, I don't know why I pray, Blair. What's the point? The stuff I've prayed to God about doesn't seem to make any difference at all. And here we are again facing the situation. And then it went further. It went further. Then he said, listen, I think I'm at a place in my life where maybe I'm just done with God. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do about this. And what he was saying was his view of prayer, whatever that was, was so important that when it didn't work out the way he thought it was going to work out, that he was ready to just cash in everything. I'm done with the whole deal. And this, in my opinion, is what happens often with people who find themselves in a situation where life gets hard, and they pray, and then they start to wonder about the viability of that prayer. Now, I'm about to try to talk to you about how you can use prayer to be an encouragement in somebody's life, it becomes really hard when people are jaded against the very idea of prayer. And if you don't think our culture is jaded right now, just go and read any article on a a disaster, a natural disaster, some sort of um, act of violence, anything, where um, people's first and immediate response is to say, hey, um, my thoughts and prayers are with those people right now, and to hear the vitriol that follows that kind of comment, like you're a fool for saying anything like that. Like there's no value whatsoever in the idea of prayer. And it's become a thing that our whole culture kind of wrestles with. Now, um, the reason I think this is the case is because uh, we've, been come, we've become convinced that primarily prayer is for us to talk to God who will intervene on our behalf and help us do stuff. 
or get stuff or feel a certain way. That we pray asking God for things and he acts on our behalf. And that's mostly what prayer has become for our culture. And you could understand, like if our culture thinks that way and wonders where God shows up when all of these things happen, if he's supposed to be just kind of delivering stuff to us, how that could be confusing. Now here's the reality. That idea of asking God for like engagement in our lives, it's in the scriptures. In Philippians 4, chapter 6, says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. And, and there it is. You, you have this thing where people are going, listen, I'm presenting my requests to God, and then I'm looking for the effectiveness of that prayer. And by effective, I mean, does this work out the way that I wanted it to work out on my behalf? And if it didn't, I don't count it as effective. Now, just in case you're thinking, oh, I'm making this stuff up, I, I read with fascination. I, I, I was like, wow, I can't believe they did this. There was a clinical study on the effectiveness of prayer. They, uh, they actually went to a metro area. They got two large churches, and uh, they asked those two large churches to start praying for everybody in Hospital A. And they asked them not to pray for people in Hospital B. And, uh, and they were studying this, which, by the way, I thought, you know, you have to control for things. And how can you prevent anybody who's not in the study from praying for people in Hospital B? But let's not talk about that, right? And what they did, because they wanted it to be scientific in nature, and they, but they wanted there to be some freedom in the prayer, they, they asked them to have just this one phrase that they made sure they repeated whenever they prayed. You could pray anything else, but make sure you put this phrase in there. And I just started shaking my head. Because saying a prayer is not the same thing as praying. And lo and behold, the title of the article that caught my eye and caused me to read this, prayer doesn't work. That was their conclusion. They found no correlation between that group of people who were praying for the hospital of people and the group of people that nobody was being prayed for. Their recovery wasn't any different. In fact, what they pointed out was some of the people who were told people were praying for them got worse. And so there was evidence that prayer made it worse. But I think it was evidence that we have a wrong picture of what prayer is supposed to be. Because if you find out that somebody's praying for you and your idea of prayer is that somebody asks for God and God gives them what they want, then you could be let down when things don't go your way. Now, um, what I thought I was reading in that article was a test. Like they, they were testing God. In essence saying, if we do this, can we prove that God will come out on this end and deliver for us, which sounds a whole lot more like control or um, compulsion. Like, I I'm gonna say this, and it's gonna cause God to do this. 
He's like my little machine. I put in the right prayers. I get the right outcome out. And for many of us, we've had that kind of um, relationship with God, except here's the problem. You're praying to a God who sees things that you can't see, knows things that you can't know, understands things that you'll never be able to comprehend. And sometimes his responses aren't what you expect. Um, Zach, could you come up here again? I know I didn't talk to you, but yeah, come on up here again. He was a little mouthy last week. So I can't believe I'm going to give him a mic, but I am. And I've got one simple request. It's easy. It's going to be easy, easy peasy. Okay? All right. I'll let you have that. You want to say hi to everybody? Morning. Okay. No, don't get comfortable. Is he taking over the stage? Okay. One simple request. Can I have your shirt? Uh... Right now? Oh, yeah. I don't think my wife would like that. All right. How long have you been married? Uh, a little over six months. Oh, okay. I see what this is. All right. Very fresh. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't even know how to take your shirt off without her help now, do you? <laughs> I see what's happening. It's okay. But I, I'm, a, I'm assuming at some point you had the capability of taking your shirt off in the past. You know how to do it, right? Correct, yes. So I'm asking for your shirt, and you're saying? Mm, probably not, no. Probably not, no. Okay, um, you can head out, because that's not going to help me anymore. Yeah, that's good, thanks. The very nature of a request is that it could be granted or it could be denied. But what we've done is that we've concluded that the only reason a request could be granted is if when he leaves the stage, I'm standing here with a shirt. Like that, that's only the prayer that counts is the one that we end up with having the shirt. And this desire to have God kind of answer our stuff and get us what we want when we want it has really, it's, it's caused um, baggage for me at times. In fact, I can, I can tell you, I can tell you the two instances uh, where I was marked on this forever and I'm still challenged by it. Uh, 14 years ago, I had a chance to go to India, one of the most important trips I've ever taken in my life, marked me in ways that have shaped who I am today. Uh, and at the same time, uh, there was some really, like what I told you, really excellent, really terrible all at the same time. The, the point of the trip was simple. The class system was still a part of the culture that we were going to visit. And they were sending these young church planners out, 17, 18, 19 years old, would, would leave their families, go to a new city, and try to plant the church to get it started. They were doing this with 2,000 people a year, planting 2,000 churches. It was incredible. And what they figured out was that those kids would come into these places, and they wouldn't be respected because their status was low. But you could, 
you could bring in a foreigner and have them seen in that village with that foreigner, have them go to the house, and that person's status would be elevated in that village. It was terrible. It was awful, right? We're just using the system the way it was. And so we would go and we'd show up and we'd walk through these really remote areas where poverty was just everywhere. And then we would go to cities and, I mean, we, we moved around a lot. We wanted to be seen with a lot of different people. But something started happening um, often was on a daily basis, on a continual basis, and I really became uncomfortable with it. I was being asked to go and pray for different things that people wanted, just all over the place. And, um, and it was kind of being presented this way. This white foreigner is going to pray for you, and you're going to get what he prays for. I remember standing in a house, and I wondered why we were there, and they said, we brought you to this house so that you can pray a blessing over this house. And I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. I've been, I mean, I'm getting used to this. And so I asked a little bit more about it, and it turned out it was a rental house. And, and I, I want to tell you, the thoughts just flooded my mind. I, I was in places where there were sticks for walls for, for these people. And this was a nice house, and it wasn't their first house. It was their second house, and they were asking to, be, to, to have a prayer of blessing on that house. And you know what I thought? You're blessed already. You might not see it, but God's already blessed you more than you can possibly imagine. I was asked to go to a house to cast out a demon from a kid. And so I thought I should inquire, right? What's about to happen here? What's going on? What are the signs? And they said, well, we, th we think he's demon-possessed because he's not listening to us all the time. I was like, how old is he? 13? I was like, all of my kids are demon-possessed, right? At some point or the other, I've had trouble and I just didn't know. I looked at the kid, he just looked angry. And what they wanted me to do was pray so that their kid would listen to them every time. And I thought, why don't you parent? That's what we do. Like you get in there and you work it out and you set boundaries and you hold them to and it's, it's hard. It's hard, hard work. But... They wanted some, this is the way it felt. I know it's going to sound cynical. White missionary dust. And I, and I came back home fairly jaded. And not long after that, um, a four-year-old boy got uh, a terminal cancer in our church. It was a dire situation. Uh, we cared for the family. We were loving on them. Um, we we're, were doing our best. And in the middle of that process, another church kind of entered the scene and made the claim that they could pray this boy um, to perfect healing. And the only barrier that would be in the way is if the family 
and his current church didn't believe enough for that to happen. And so they started down this path, and uh, eventually the boy passed, and the family disconnected from us uh, because we were obviously the problem. We hadn't believed enough to result in the healing of that boy. And I went right back there to this, this place where we look at God and say, I'm going to give you a request. I expect you to act on it. And if you don't, either the problem with what we believed, because if you believe right, you should always get the outcome that you're expecting, or the problem is with you, God, somehow, and um, none of that was setting well with me. In, in fact, I, um, I had a hard time swallowing any of it. And um, at the time in my life, I, w- I was a pretty big rules guy, and God was changing my heart to start viewing more of what we had with each other as a relationship. I didn't view it that way for the longest time. And God gave me this picture uh, when it came to prayer that made me stop in my tracks and think. Because if, it, if it's about relationship, what if it looks like this? What would you do if you had a neighbor who every time he came to your door was asking you for something? Just, could I get some sugar? Could I use your rake? Could I have a blanket? Could I get some, you name it, goes on and on. Every time he comes to the door, he's asking you for something. And a few times, you've run out of some of the things that he wants. And what makes it back to you is that this neighbor has now concluded that you're not a very good friend because you don't deliver on everything that they ask every time. Would you answer the door for that person over and over again? Now, here's the thing. God will, because he's deeply in love with you. And he'll, he'll pay attention to your heart, and he'll listen. But I realized that, the, that there was something wrong in my life, because when I examined the way I prayed, Almost exclusively, I prayed for God to get me things, to do stuff for me. And so I I decided to come up with an experiment. I I quit praying. I just stopped. I I prayed for other people. I was in a role where that I, I wanted to do that. But anything for me, I decided I didn't want to do that. I wasn't gonna ask for anything. I didn't want to, I'd been doing that my whole life, and I needed to find something else that was of value in this prayer relationship. And I started paying attention a lot to the things that were said after the prayer was requested. And here's here's what I came to the conclusion of. I'm convinced that the primary reason for prayer, the primary reason that we go before God 
is it so he can know us and we can know him. And that when you have that attitude of, I want to know you, you'll pray for things like wisdom because wisdom is seeing things from God's point of view. I, I want to understand how you view this kind of stuff. I want to talk to you about what's happening in my life. I started having conversations with God like he was a friend. You know the kind of conversation where you simply tell them what's going on in your life without expecting them to go fix it. Right? You tell your friends what's happening at work, but you don't expect that friend to call your boss and ring them out. You're just telling them what's going on with you so that they know. See, God already knows. But that practice of you telling him opens up a relationship. And what I began to realize was that it wasn't just that God wanted to know me. He wanted me to know him, which means he might actually talk back. And I started creating space in my life to listen, to hear from God. I started um, seeing God's presence in nature, started hearing his truth in all kinds of music. I started connecting with him. And it, now listen, for some of you, this is going to seem like the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. And it could be because you feel like you pray and you're praying to a wall. And, and I want to suggest that maybe what you haven't found yet is a way for God to connect with your spirit, his spirit with your spirit. And I'm going to recommend a resource. There's a book out there called Sacred Pathways um, that will give you some ideas of the different paths that you can go down that might open you up to allowing the spirit to connect with your spirit. And, and there's a lot of, different, lot of different ways that God connects with people. But I found that I was starting to relate with God in a meaningful way when it wasn't just about what are you going to do for me today? Am I going to measure your effectiveness in my life based on the outcome? What I started realizing was the effectiveness of the prayer was in knowing that God heard me. And if the nature of a request is that it could be granted or denied, that what was most important was that the creator of the universe had allowed me into his presence, and even if he said no, I still was in his presence. I still got to talk to him and listen for what he might push back on me. And all of a sudden, my prayer started changing. Started being far more conversational, started being um, far more in the working of my day. But I still had a problem. I still had a problem because no matter how you slice it, there's still the element of request. Why? Why does God even ask us to request things from him, to knock, to ask? Why does he do that? Uh, Pascal, Blaisel Pascal, 16th century, um, 17th century, 1600s, 
had um, a saying that I think uh, helped me a lot. I want to show it to you. He said, God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures the dignity of causality. Now, you may be going, hey, I'm not from the 1600s, so we'll try this instead. God grants us the dignity of being able to bring about change through prayer. Isn't that unbelievable? Because God wants to partner with you, because God desires to know what you're concerned about, what's on your heart, what you care for, he invites you to make the request. And sometimes he will act on it in ways that you can see. And there'll be no doubt in your mind that he responded to that. And sometimes he'll respond in ways that you can't see because if you go and you read about prayer, often you will see as you read about how, how it works out in our lives, sometimes it's about peace that comes. Sometimes it's about comfort. Sometimes it's about conviction. Sometimes it's about stuff that happens on the inside of the people that we pray for and on the inside of us in ways that you can't visibly see. But because you know that this God who loves you, wants to know you, has heard you, you rest knowing that if he acts or doesn't act, he's wiser than you, bigger than you, stronger than you, and that he's going to do what's best and right. And because you've been investing in a relationship where you know this God, you decide that's trustworthy enough for you. It's why I think Paul was mentoring a young pastor in 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 2, 1, he says this to that young pastor. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Why? Because. It's not because um, you have a special place in God's heart. That's what it has felt like for me at times. I'm going to ask the, the pastor to pray because somehow that moves my request up on the priority list and God will answer it faster or first. It's not how it works. I'm going to pray for those kinds of things because I believe God has the power to change things if he wants in ways that I can't see at times or he'll say no. But I trust him. And to bring stuff to him is a privilege that I have. And that's why prayer can be used as a tool of encouragement in people's lives. Because when you have the right view of I'm going to take this before God because it's on my heart, it's on my mind, it's bugging me and I want him to know about it. I want to pour this out to him. And he's like, I'm so glad you told me that. I, I may actually do something. I may not, but I heard you. I listened to you. I know what's important to you. I'm bigger. I see things that you see, don't see. I understand things that you don't understand. But if you'll trust me, you can pray for these things and not just pray for them. You can be bold. You can shoot for the moon. 
You can ask for the stars, and you'll find that kind of talk in the scriptures. And you'll also hear the scriptures say, the prayer of a righteous man is effective. And that's true, too. If you understand that effective doesn't mean God's a machine, and I put my stuff in and I get my stuff out, what's effective is that you go to that person who needs encouragement, and you look him in the eye, and you say, I'm going to pray for you right now. And you take that person with you into the presence of God. And the presence of God is a powerful thing. And your prayer just ushered that moment in and gave God a shot at their heart. Maybe nothing changes in their circumstances. Maybe their heart does. Or maybe something does change. See, here's the problem. It's hard when you look at it because you're not sure. Did my prayer make a difference? You can't prove it. There's no empirical data. You can do a clinical study all you want. But there is one way to know. We asked somebody on staff if they had ever had somebody pray for them in a way that made a difference, that they knew it made a difference. I want you to hear this quick story. It was about 10 years ago. Um, I was in a really dark place, just very depressed, really angry, and dropped out of college, started working in a factory, and um, just felt like nothing was going right in my life. But my mom, through everything, told me that she was praying for me. And just a little background, I was very angry about everything. Like, even the smallest thing, like, are you hungry? she would ask me and I, I would just yell at her I'd get really angry but you know she was still praying for me and then I don't know what happened it was about two years that I was like this and it just kept getting worse and worse and then all of a sudden it was like God hit me with a two by four just in the back of the head and I realized that you know I was I was messing up my life I was putting everyone through stuff that they don't need to go through. It was, it was all because of my mom praying for me every day that, you know, things got better. When he's asked about that situation, what he knows is that his mom's prayers made a difference. Can I tell you, that's how it works. When you pray, and you know the purpose of your prayer is to know God and be known by God, the Spirit communicates things that no clinical study will ever be able to figure out. I know that made a difference. I know that I'm loved because you chose to do that. If, if I could... If I could dream for the stars right now, what I would hope is that if somebody shares something that's going on in, your, in their lives, that before you part ways, you just stop and you offer to pray and ask boldly. You do big things. You know you're taking them before the presence of God. Before you hang up that phone as they're talking to you about stuff that they're distraught over, 
you offer to pray. Why? Because it's a tool that God uses to change the world. And he offers it to you and me. The first place he wants to change is our hearts. But after that, it could be unknown what he'll do with it. And instead of being embarrassed to just simply say, I'm praying for you to that coworker or that friend, we actually have the courage to say it and do it. And we trust that God's answer, whatever that might be, is not the end all. It's the God that we pray to who is the end all. He holds all of that power. He'll use it as best he sees fit. And he will allow you to come into his presence and to talk to him about the stuff that matters to your heart. Let's use this tool in each other's lives. Let's be a community that prays knowing that it's a God that we can trust. Will you join your hearts with mine as we go to him right now? God, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that at times I've used you like a slot machine. Put stuff in, push the buttons, and hope to hit the jackpot. I'm sorry at times I've been so jaded that I've been unwilling to pray for others. And I missed that I could have taken people into the presence, your presence, and you make a difference. So God, I ask that you would be in the room this morning, that you would readjust our focus on what it means to be your people, your people who embrace the idea of prayer, that the primary purpose isn't to get stuff out of you that we want, but to offer our hearts to you and to listen as you offer your heart back. God, may you make us a community that prays for the hearts and souls and minds of our coworkers, of our friends, of our family. Knowing that this is something that you want. You want us to come into your presence. And you may choose to act. And you may not. But we'll love you because you love us. God, make us a people who has understanding, knowledge, and wisdom in this area of prayer. Help us to see it the way you do. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
you could please stand and sing with us.